Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. This morning, right before we get into our, our message, and we're launching a new series this morning, I want to put up really briefly a, um, a slide from the offering that we took up last week. Uh, and I want to give you an update. If you were here last week, I want to talk to you. And if you weren't here last week, I want to talk to you as well. So that should hit <laughs> most people, um, those of you joining online as well. Um, so if we get that slide up for our Philemon offering. Last week, as the culmination of our Philemon series, we took up a special offering that um, is a project offering. That means it's not about our, um, our ongoing you know, ministry needs for, for us. It's not our operational costs, our ministry operations. It's anything. It's to give away. And, um, and so it's kind of like a year-end offering that we sometimes do around Christmas, only we took it in the fall. And it's going to two things, and, and it really in the spirit of, of Jesus's ministry, which he began his ministry by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and release to the captives. And uh, that's really, those are the, the, the two projects that this is going towards is release for captives it, that are, that are uh, in debtor's prison in Africa. And the other is to, it's good news for the poor. And that's specifically helping with um, sustaining and finding uh, sustainable housing in, right here in our valley. And so uh, the, the, the update is this. Um, I, we had feedback that, that we didn't give you. I, I'll take ownership for it. I didn't give you enough lead time on that. We just kind of announced it last Sunday and said, this is a one-week special project. And so um, if you... Uh, so uh, uh, we're going to extend that for another week. Um, so... Uh, I apologize. I didn't mean to create a crisis for anybody or your finances. Um, so we're extending that for another week so you can still participate in that. Uh, if you weren't here, I would really encourage you to go online, go to our website or use the Vineyard app if you have that and watch that third message in Philemon because we shared two powerful stories uh, of, of what we believe God is doing. And this is a unique thing. I believe this is one of those stories that we're gonna be telling future generations. You know, oftentimes when we gather, we share the stories that they say, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is who God's called us to be. And we share those stories this is going to be a story that we retell, and there's an opportunity for you to be a part of that. So with that said, um, if you use that QR code, it's going to take you to our digital giving. Uh, additionally, you can give uh, here in the room by, by putting an offering in the box. Um, just make sure on the memo line you put Philemon Project. I do want to say this. Um, this offering that we're doing, this is not out of abundance. It's out of obedience, uh, which means I- I'm asking you as your pastor... Um, to not just reallocate what you would normally give here. This isn't taking your regular giving and putting it towards that. This is over and above your regular giving. We're not in a place where as a church, we can just say, hey, let's just give, give it all away. Um, this, is, this is an extra expression of generosity from each of us. And so if I can encourage you towards that, that's, that QR code will take you to our regular giving as well, but we're going to keep that open for one more week, and then we're going to see um, what God does with it. So we'll, we'll give you a report on that um, probably in the next week or two about how that, how that pans out, but um, there you go. So, you know, I want to pr- pray before we start. We're, we're starting a new series today, and let's just open it in prayer. Holy Spirit, uh, you indwell your church. And we don't want to gather, uh, we don't want to settle for a meeting. We don't want to settle for a, uh, a religious uh, practice. We want to gather around your presence, in your presence. We want to worship you and be transformed by you and be sent by you into our world. We want to be faithful ambassadors of your gospel, faithful messengers to to demonstrate and proclaim your gospel with our lives, with our words, with our choices. And so Holy Spirit, we dedicate this next series to you. We consecrate these weeks to your purposes in our lives. And you know beyond what we know, 
beyond my expectations. You know what you want to do. And we just want to give you our unqualified yes. You're trustworthy, you're good. Everything that comes from your hand and your heart is to be received with, with gladness and with trust. And so we, we give you our unqualified yes and we say, have your way. Come Holy Spirit, would you awaken hearts to faith? Would you awaken us to, uh, to transformation and the things you wanna do in us? Through this, would you send us into a hurting world with a message that is good news? Give us eyes to see what you're doing. And uh, may we find it to be our deepest joy, our very food to cooperate with you. Amen. All right. Well, as I mentioned there, we're, uh, we're starting a series in Philippians today. Here's our title slide. Uh, we've titled this series, uh, Imitating Jesus. Today's specific message is, so I got saved, now what? And we're going to be talking about this, but this is the banner over this next, I think it's a seven or eight week series. It's called Imitating Jesus. Uh, it's going to carry us right up to our Christmas series. And um, in this series, we're going to be going through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And I'll start by saying this letter that Paul's writing is different than some of his letters. Uh, some of Paul's letters in their tone and in their purpose were corrective. Uh, sometimes he was writing to address um, theological error in the church. And he was writing to correct that. Uh, Sometimes he was writing to address behavior in the church, lifestyle issues. And so he was writing to correct that. Uh, And of course, those things happen in this letter, but more more than being a letter of correction, this is a letter of encouragement. It's written by a a pastor who actually started this church, not just, well, Paul founded the church in Philippi. And, um, and he's writing to encourage them. He's writing from prison. And so he's not writing from the easiest of circumstances. And that's actually crucial to uh, interpreting the letter from the perspective that he's writing from. So you're gonna notice, today we're just gonna be in the opening introduction. You're gonna notice right away if you pay attention that his tone is deeply affectionate. This is a, a letter that, um, again, it's being written to people that he knows, that he cares for deeply. And as we listen to it, I want you to just listen in this opening paragraph for the, the uh, affection, the, um, the relationship that he has with them. After that, we're going to go and we're going to look at the, um, the, the founding of this church and look at the background of who are these people that he's writing to. Why is it he, he feels such affection for them? And why is it that he has such great confidence in what God is doing and what God's about to do in that church? So turn to Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna be reading today from the NLT and we'll put it on screen, uh, but you can turn there in your Bible or your app as well. Starting in verse one, uh, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus including the the church leaders and the deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I always catch my... No, wait, that's different. Every time I think of you, I give thanks... All week I've been singing this song when I read this passage. Always catch my breath. Um, I give thanks to my God whenever I pray. I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news of Christ from the time that you first heard it until now. And I am certain, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until the day it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Do you hear the affection? A couple of things I just wanna highlight from that opening paragraph, his affection and his personal knowledge of the church. He's not writing to a church that he's not met yet. There are times when Paul writes to people that he hopes to meet. So example, uh, Romans. When he writes to the church in Rome, he hasn't met them yet. He anticipates meeting them. And so he's praying for them, but it's with uh, an anticipation of the people uh, that he hopes to meet and what he's heard about them. This one's different. This is the church that he knows. He spent time in their homes. He's shared meals with them. They've cared for his needs in a time of crisis. And so this is a church where he's got a lot of relationship with. He loves them deeply and 
he led many of them to faith personally. He led them to faith in Jesus. So, you know, when you've led someone to faith in Jesus or someone has led you to faith in Jesus, there's a different kind of bond there, isn't there? There's a different kind of relational connection, a relational investment. Like the people that, that you've led to Jesus or that have led you to Jesus, we, we, we think differently of them. We pray differently for them. There's just a deeper intimacy. That's what's going on here. So I bolded this statement. I want you to look at that for just a second. Let's read it again. He says, I am certain. And if you read other translations, it might say, I know. Okay? Or I am, I am uh, I'm confident. He says a couple of things. He says, the God who began the good work in you will continue his work till it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Paul knows a couple of things. He knows that these people did not find Jesus, that Jesus found them. It's not as if they reached up to heaven and, and grabbed onto God and said, we, we figured it out. We figured out the truth. It's that God reached down to them. God invaded their circumstances in order to rescue and redeem them. And Paul knows it. He, he was there. He saw it. He experienced it. And so he's very confident that it was God that began the good work, but he's also confident that that good work isn't done. He knows they're in process. So I got saved. Now what? Well, now you're in process until, until Jesus returns. That's the hope for every Christian beginning in the first century after Jesus' ascension, extending until now. That Jesus is coming back and, and, and at the moment of our salvation, there's a work of sanctification that begins in our lives. We're, we're being transformed to become more like Jesus. And Paul says, here's what I know. I know God started that and I know he's still doing it and I know he's gonna finish it. That's an encouraging word right there. God's still doing a work He's going to complete it. Verse seven. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and my defending and confirming, confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you. And I long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. There we hear that Paul's still imprisoned. They, they were aware of Paul's imprisonment, but he's at a great enough distance. They didn't know if he was still there. Here they find out that he's still in prison, but that he's writing from a place of hopefulness. Goes on to read verse nine. It says, here's what I pray. So again, Paul's praying for the church. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. Okay, I bolded this because this, this is kind of the foundation of what he's trying to do. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. I love that phrase. The fruit of your salvation. We'll come back to that. What is it? It's the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ for this will bring much glory and praise to God. This is God's word. That's the opening paragraphs of Philippians. That's, that's as far as we're gonna go in the text today. Um, but I wanna highlight a couple things. First of all, you see that right there, Paul doubled down on his purpose for writing. And he said, I'm writing because I wanna help you grow in Christ-likeness between the salvation that you already have and what God's going to finish. And so, Every part of this letter is coming back to that. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what that looks like in your life. And he uses this language of the fruit of your salvation, which that's a really pretty powerful metaphor if we stop to think about it and don't just let it glaze past. The fruit of your salvation is something that's fruits produced organically because of the nature of the seed that's been planted, isn't it? When you plant a peach seed, you get a peach tree. Right? If it grows and matures. When you plant a apple tree, you get apples. He's saying something has happened in your life that if allowed to mature, it's going to produce fruit and it's fruit that looks like Jesus. That Jesus, that Jesus will, would live your life the way that, he, that you're living your life increasingly looks like Jesus would live, his, live if he was yours. Right? That's discipleship. 
And Paul's saying, I'm writing to encourage you in that. So we're going to backtrack right now. We're consider, we know why he's writing, that he's writing to encourage them in that. We're going to backtrack and consider why it is that Paul is so confident about God starting this work in these people and why he's so affectionate with them. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 6. What we find out is in Acts 16, Paul has just embarked on his second of, of three missionary journeys. The year is around AD 49. Uh, Paul, you know, we take mission, mission trips, you know, typically if you hear somebody going on a missions trip, we use the language of trips. Paul took missionary journeys that weren't measured in weeks or months, but measured in years. So the second missionary journey was from 49 to 52 approximately. And uh, this is the beginning of it. We're gonna read in Acts 16, six. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Now, geographically, that's kind of a big word salad. If you don't, you know, if you're not familiar with that part, that region of the world and, and that time. And so we're gonna put up a map and we're just gonna block this out really quickly because this, what happens here is really significant because it tells us something about what God's doing. Okay, so first of all, here's the, the uh, beginning of the second missionary journey. It starts over here in Syrian Antioch. Uh, the red line, this is, this is tracking the outbound trip. And what you see is that the first few stops that he makes, those are all at places where Paul and Barnabas had previously planted a church during the first missionary journey. So he's circling back to those churches to check on them, to encourage them, to exhort them, to teach. And then, and then his plan, when he reaches um, what's the, the last dot there on that map is, is Pisidian Antioch. And he reaches there, that's the end of the churches they're revisiting. And then his plan is to go into new territory. He's going into the province of Asia to the west. And, and he's planning to go there and the Holy Spirit said, No. How did the Holy Spirit say no? We're not sure. Luke is the author. You're gonna hear Luke um, describing throughout this text. He's gonna say language like, we did this, we did that. Luke was with them on this trip. And we don't know how the Spirit told them no, but they had a very clear closed door that they were not supposed to, that wasn't what God had next for them. So instead, they head north and they're planning to go up into Bithynia. And so they're heading north around Asia and they're going up into Bithynia and then the Holy Spirit says, nope, stop. Again, how? I don't know. Maybe it was circumstances, maybe it was dreams. Somehow the Holy Spirit made it very clear, you are not to go into Bithynia right now. And so instead, they head over towards, they, they keep going west and they head over to the uh, seaport of Troas and they've got to decide where to go from here. And the question is, what's God up to? Because clearly he's up to something specific he doesn't want them to go into Asia right now. He doesn't want them to go into Bithynia right now. He has something, or maybe it's someone specifically in mind. So you pick up in verse uh, nine. That night, so here they are in Troas waiting. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in Northern Greece was standing there pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good connection, right? So here we have our final map. From the follow, following the vision of the Macedonian man pleading with them, they set sail and they know where they're supposed to go. They're heading for Macedonia with their first major stop being the city of Philippi. Verse 11, we, uh, we boarded a boat at Troas and we sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace uh, from, on the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. This is important. We stayed there several days. Philip's a, a leading city of what was formerly Greece during the, the Greek Empire, is now the Roman Empire. And here's what Luke tells us, that unlike many of the other cities in that province and region, this one was a Roman colony. And to be a Roman colony, that was a, a privilege that was granted to them about 100 years previous to this time. And, uh, and that was a privileged status that not every city had, and it was a big deal. 
Uh, to be a Roman colony had privileges and benefits that for the city included greater military protection. In other words, in that day when there was, you know, uh, kingdoms shifting and, you know, oppressors fighting and trying to get control of the known world. If you were a Roman colony, you had greater protection than anyone else because Rome was going to protect its people, protect its interests. So there's greater military protection. There was also uh, financial benefits. There was exemption from some of the other taxes and tributes that had to be paid to the Roman empire. And so many of the residents, though they may not have originally been Roman citizens, were actually granted Roman citizenship, which came with personal privilege and personal benefit in addition to the, the city having benefits, okay? So that's where Paul and Silas land. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went a little way outside of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. Okay, this is Paul's pattern. Whenever he came to a new city, he went initially to the Jewish population of that city. And the reason why is that the, the Jewish people were most positioned, they're most readily positioned to understand the gospel. They had a framework for understanding God and a promised Messiah and so Paul always reached out to the Jewish people first. And if some of them became believers in Jesus, they then became leaders in the early church because they could disciple people in, in everything that God had been doing from creation up until now and how it all culminated in the person of Jesus. And so they were often his disciples for those who became believers. So we find out something here though in this text. And that's that when Paul was looking for them, he had to go outside of the city and there was a place of prayer established near the riverbank. Here's what this tells us. It tells us that the Jewish population was so small in Philippi that they did not have a synagogue of their own. If there was any sort of significant population, they would have had a synagogue. The fact that they're meeting outside of the city for a, just a, a corporate place of prayer tells us that the, the Jewish population of Philippi was the minority population. The majority was Gentile, non-Jew, and some of them were, of course, Roman citizens. Verse 14, talking about Lydia. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized in the name of Jesus. And she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. This is gonna become Paul's kind of base of operations starting in Philippi. And he and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they all move into Lydia's house. In a, or Lydia is affluent. Uh, she's a merchant of expensive cloth. And so she's affluent and she and her household become believers. But here Luke tells us, when Luke's narrating this, he said, it was the Lord who opened her heart, right? When Paul says, I know that God began a good work in you, one of the people that he's writing to is Lydia and her household. And he was there and he saw how their hearts were opened. Maybe you've had this experience. Maybe you're sitting, you're listening to a message about Jesus. Maybe it's in a church environment or a podcast or something. And you, you feel your heart strangely warmed. That's the way it's been described when the Holy Spirit is, is opening somebody's heart to the gospel. That's what happened with Lydia. So already they've reached this city that God was clearly saying, I want you to go here now. And already this woman and her household have come to faith in Jesus. So they set up operations there and then they begin kind of doing excursions into the city. Here's what happens next, verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. So this is interesting. The, the Greek wording to describe this, this woman is, is that she was quite young. Um, Luke tells us that she's demonically possessed with a spirit that enabled her to prophetically, predictably tell the future. Very handy if you're investing in the stock market. <laughs> If you're, you know, on DraftKings, you know, very helpful for your fantasy football league. 
But who it was really helpful for, it wasn't helpful to her personally. It was helpful to her masters because she was owned and controlled by other people. Which means that if we were describing this today, we would use the language of human trafficking. This is a young girl being trafficked by older men and they're utilizing something that she's capable of doing that they can't do. They're utilizing that for their own benefit, to line their own pockets. And so she tells the future, they keep all the cash, and then they do it all again the next day. So that's what's happening in her life. That's not a happy life. Um, she's a slave being trafficked. Um, for some reason, she's attached herself to Paul and his team, and she's appointed herself to be the director of their public relations. <laughs> she's like, I'm your PR, uninvited. She starts following around, and here's the reality. What she's saying is actually true. I mean, here's what she says. She followed around Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. Okay, that's true. They've come to tell you how to be saved. That's true. But something about the way that she's doing this wasn't helpful. And so after a few days, Paul gets exasperated by this. Here's what happens. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. <laughs> and instantly it left. So this goes on for days. Paul's just like gritting his teeth. You know, she's narrating behind him. Finally, he shuts it down. And uh, we don't know why, like, Clearly, there is such a thing as bad press. And uh, have you been on a missions trip? A lot of us have been on missions trips, short-term missions trips. Maybe you've been on a missionary journey. Been on a missions trip. I've never had a demon doing play-by-play -play on the missions trip. Like just following me around. Hey, now is when they're going to try and close the deal. He's about to give the message. You know? I don't know what it looked like, but it was not helpful. And so Paul shuts it down. But, but notice that when he shuts it down, he does it, what he reaches out and does through the spirit of the living God, it doesn't harm her, it actually helps her. He sets her free from the demonic presence that had inhabited her life and was the reason she was being controlled by others, the reason she was being trafficked. He sets her free. When I read the story of Philippians, when I read the letter and Paul's so affectionate about the people he's writing to, he said, God began a good work in you I suspect that this young lady is now part of the church that he's writing to. Well, her owners aren't happy with it. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities, pay attention to that word, at the marketplace. The whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So the owners, they don't celebrate that their slave girl has been set free from the demonic spirit that's been inhabiting her life, right? They're not happy. What they, all they can see is that their golden goose has just been killed. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them before, it says the authorities in the marketplace. And on the surface, that sounds like, like the management company of the mall, okay? <laughs> this is something more than that. Okay. This is not, this is not the, the, you know, here's who this is. Every Roman colony, and some, some uh, versions will translate this with the word magistrates. Every Roman colony had two magistrates that were effectively, they were Rome's governing agents in that Roman colony. And their job was to protect Rome's interests in the colonies. They were, so that meant they were supposed to uh, uphold Roman authority, Roman rule, Roman order, they're supposed to protect Roman citizens. Basically, they are Rome's representatives in that colony. So when these guys show up and they say, these two Jews are advocating customs that are not legal for us Romans to observe, they're like pushing buttons, right? They're, they're trying to motivate these guys to harm Paul and Silas because this is the type of thing that, they, that if, you, if, if they go to them and say, hey, these guys um, set our, our slave free from a demon. Well, that's not gonna get much of a reaction. These Jews are trying to get us to do things that will offend Rome. That's gonna get their attention. A mob quickly formed, verse 22. 
A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. This is not an uncommon thing in their day. Public beatings were used to secure evidence. In other words, to beat a confession out of the accused, assuming they weren't a Roman citizen in which case it's illegal to either bind or beat them. But uh, this being the case, these Jews, these are subject to, their, um, to being beaten. Uh, it was also a, a technique that was used to humiliate somebody so that it was like a public message to other people, don't do what they did. But here's what they do. They, 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 they give them this severe beating and then they hand them over to the jailer and they say, don't let them escape. And so he does two things. He puts them in the innermost prison, says, Inner, inner dungeon, which is effectively, that's like maximum security. They're in the middle with prisoners all around them. And then it says that he put them in stocks too, which means that he, that, that wasn't, stocks weren't just used to secure. They weren't like a redundant system to, to lock them in their cell. They were additional form of torture. It held them in an uncomfortable, unnatural, painful position. And so it was adding to the punishment. And so he puts them in stocks. And why, why are they so concerned? Why do they say, make sure that you lock them up tightly? It may be they're just appeasing the crowd. There's a mob that's gathered and they, they don't want word to get back to Rome that Rome's interest isn't being protected. So it could be that. I've studied this passage several times over the years and I've always wondered if there had been like a, a memo or an email that went out through the Roman prison system that said, you know, subject line, Christians are slippery. Because already at this point, Peter has been locked up twice and then just been set free by angels, right? So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they've been told, you know, if you lock these guys up, do it well. But that's what he does. Innermost prison and stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Okay, there's some unusual things happening there. <laughs> Let's start with the fact that it's midnight and Paul and Silas are praying and singing. Um, that's not the Jewish hour of prayer, midnight. That's the Jewish hour of sleeping, like in most of the world. Although in this particular moment, neither are they sleeping nor any of the other prisoners there's only one person at the prison sleeping that night. We're gonna find out in a minute, the jailer's asleep. Everybody else is awake. And we don't know why they're awake. I mean, they're, they're singing, but maybe it's because the, the beating that they just received was so severe that they can't sleep. You know what that's like when you're in pain. But they're in maximum security prison. They're, they're singing, they're, all the other prisoners are listening to them. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake. And this is not your average run-of-the-mill ordinary earthquake. It's destructive as earthquakes are known to be, but it's selectively destructive. It causes all of the doors in the prison to pop open. It causes all the chains in the, of the prisoners to fall off. <laughs> and yet the roof never collapses. Okay. We're supposed to realize there's something happening here that's out of the ordinary. This is a divine intervention of some sort, right? The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted at him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer wakes up and he, you know, eyes are a little bit blurry. All he wakes up and all he sees is the prison doors are open. He assumes, natural assumption, all the prisoners seized the moment and escaped. And if that's in fact what happened because he was the one responsible, this leads to his execution. If the prisoners escaped on his watch, this is his execution. He's probably a retired Roman soldier. That's often what happened in the colonies is the soldiers retired there and gave, were given some sort of you know, easier job. But the most honorable thing he can do is take his own life. So he grabs his sword and he's about to kill himself. This is a desperate moment in this man's life. 
And all of a sudden, Paul calls out and says, wait, don't do it. We're all still here. And so he calls for the lights. He puts his sword down, calls for the lights, and he starts counting noses. He goes, I, 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 V. Roman numerals. Pastor humor, dad humor. (laughs) So he, but he realizes they're all here and suddenly everything changes. And suddenly he's spiritually attentive. Suddenly he's spiritually open because something just happened that's unreal and unnatural. And he comes to Paul and Silas and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison and we're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. (laughs) So morning comes, or two magistrates, they send the police. These are the lictors, which means they were probably the very ones that administrated the severe beating. They send them to the jailer to say, let those men free. And here's what it tells us. He never thought that they were, they never were perceived to be a real threat. They were just appeasing the crowd because now they're saying, hey, we're not really interested in pressing charges. You guys are free to go. Just leave. And Paul says, well, hold on. We're Roman citizens. And they're expecting Paul to be grateful, to be gracious, to be, oh, oh thank you. We're, we're so glad. We're, we, we'll get away with just a beating. Paul says, hold on, not so fast. He says, we may be Jews, but we are also Roman citizens. That changes everything. Watch what happens. Verse 38, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. That's the end of our reading for today. But did you hear the radical change? When they find out that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, that changes everything. Because it's illegal to bind or to beat a Roman citizen without trial. This could cost them their lives if this gets back to Rome. It could cost Philippi its status as a Roman colony. Like this is very bad. And so when they come, they come in humility. They come with flowers. They have a get well card. They have a, a, gift, card, a gift certificate to a, a very nice hotel. Not here in Thessalonica. <laughs> and they beg them, please leave quietly because this changes everything. And you know, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. I heard this story a lot as a kid. I grew up in church. It's very familiar with the story. The story always kind of bothered me. It always perplexed me because I never really knew why. First of all, the fact that Paul and Silas were singing after getting a severe beating. Okay. I didn't get severe beatings as a child, but even the little punishments I got, I never caused me to sing. Right? <laughs> Didn't lay in bed that night singing. I never really got that. But here's what happened. I fell in love with this passage during my Bible school, which was actually in 93. It was 30 years ago right now. And what was happened is is as as a school, whenever we got to a new book, we studied every single book of the Bible. At the beginning of every book, we had an out loud reading of the book in its entirety. So we heard the whole thing at once. And so we were sitting in my dorm room and we're doing a a reading of the book of Acts. And we get to this part and somebody was reading this part. And I realized that when Paul 
pulled out his passport and said, I'm a Roman citizen, it changed everything. And I'm sitting there listening to somebody reading and I, and I just stopped and thought, well, Paul, why did you wait until then to pull it out? Like if I'm Paul and I've got a get out of jail free card or a get out of the beating free card in, the, in my passport, I'm gonna pull that out when they're coming at me with sticks, right? And so I'm like, oh, like Paul, why did you wait? So I'm sitting there and that's, these are the thoughts going through my head. And I heard the voice of God in that moment. And here's the, I knew it was God because it wasn't in my language. And I wasn't even praying. I wasn't praying and saying, God, why did this happen this way? I was just sitting there thinking, Paul, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, why didn't you? And you know what? If you, we read, we kept reading. You get to Acts 22. There's a place in Acts 22 where Paul's about to go through the same thing. And he pulls his Roman citizenship card at the beginning. He says, time out. So why did you wait? And I heard in the still small voice of God, I just heard this voice say four words. He said, I wanted the jailer. And I sat there and I just, I started weeping because I realized this whole thing, what Paul and Silas endured was for the sake of reaching more people with the gospel. And somehow they knew that they weren't supposed to pull that card yet, that they were supposed to endure what they endured. And, and, and it was all part of getting the jailer's attention so that he was open to the gospel. And he and his household got saved. And I just thought, what an amazing God. And I hope that someday I can, I can be shaped to the degree where I would do that for the sake of the gospel. Changes everything. I've wondered, we started by, by looking at Paul, how, how they got there, the sovereign circumstances that led them to Philippi. And it started with a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. I really wonder if that man in that vision wasn't the jailer. I, I, I don't know. It's totally suspicious, but, or so it's, so it's an interpretation, but I wonder. Let's circle back to that last verse in Philippians. As we read this one last time, Think about it through who Paul's writing to, through what he's experienced with them. He's spent time in their homes. He spent multiple times in Lydia's home. He spent, multi, he spent this evening in the jailer's home as the jailer bandaged his and Silas's wounds from the severe beating they got. He loves these people. He saw God sovereignly reach down to intervene in their lives. So when he's writing this, he's writing it from a place of faith because of what he's seen in their past. This is really important. So listen, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you first heard about it until now. And I am certain the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see why Paul's so confident now? Paul knows that God loves these people. Stop and think about, if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, just stop and think about the people that were involved in you coming to faith in Jesus. Maybe there was circumstances that, that created in you an openness to responding to the gospel. Oftentimes negative circumstances. Maybe there was multiple people who shared the love of Jesus with you. Maybe there was a, a grandmother or a mom who prayed for you, who prayed you into life with Jesus. Just take a moment to think about those people. Think about the circumstances. Do you see that there's an invisible hand behind all of that? That those aren't just human circumstances. God loves you. God was pursuing you. God began the good work in you. You didn't find him, he found you. And being aware of our past and thinking, looking at it through those lenses is what stirs faith for the future, for the present and for the future. Our worship team is gonna come back and they're gonna lead us in that last song that we did. And as we do so, I wanna give three possible applications. And I just wanna invite you to respond to the song. Either you can sing along with the worship team 
or you can just let them sing over us. Sometimes I let other people worship and I just pray while they worship. So you, you, you take care of you, okay? But I wanna give you three potential applications. So would you stand with me if you would? And I'm gonna ask you to think through one of three things. The first two are for those who know that you're a Christian. You had a defining moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit came into your life and you were born again, okay? If you've had that experience, you know. You can think back about the moment of your salvation. And I think there's two applications for you this week and as we go into the series. Two things that, 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 one of two things that God wants to do in us as we open our lives to Paul's letter to the Philippians. One is that some of us need to be encouraged. Some of us are, are Christians who are currently discouraged in our lives. We're going through life with weariness, with discouragement, maybe depression. And a lot of it has to do with circumstances that aren't about God. It's with our physical circumstances, our, our, our human circumstances. Relationships, marriage, jobs, living situations, finances. There's things surrounding us that are discouraging. Or maybe it is your Christian relationship. Maybe you're discouraged about something that you've wanted God to do and you haven't seen it happen yet. Something you've prayed for. Someone you've prayed for or something you've prayed for. And it hasn't happened and you've just become discouraged. And I believe what God wants to say to you through this message and through this book is be encouraged that the one who began a good work in you is going to see it through to completion. The timing may be different than yours, but your greatest defining reality is not your human circumstances, is that you belong to Jesus and he's going to finish what he began in you. And you can live in uncomfortable, painful, all kinds of circumstances with joy if that's your defining reality. And what God wants to do in you and encouraging you is restore to you your, your deepest reality, your foundational reality that your life is built upon is that Jesus owns you. That he gave himself for you to redeem you from all lawlessness and to, and to take hold of, a, of, a, of you to be a possession of his. Stirring you good deeds. So that's one. Some of you need to be encouraged. Some of us need to be challenged. Here's the second application. And some of us got saved and then our life hasn't really changed a lot since then. Some of us got saved and now it's kind of like we're waiting for heaven. And so the, the, the question of, I got saved, now what? Well, now you're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. Your life is supposed to be organically producing fruit that looks like Jesus. And if your life currently doesn't look that different from people who don't claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then you need to be challenged in that. Because when Paul's writing, he's saying, God began a good work and there's more. Some of you need to open your life to being challenged. Do you hear that word? It's a word of sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. The third word is for those who don't yet know that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been on the perimeter of of church or a faith community. And, and there's something stirring in you today. Kind of like Lydia, when she responded, her, her heart was strangely warmed, to use the language of Wesley. Maybe your heart's being stirred to faith and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, that you know that you're here today is not a result of human circumstances, that God has orchestrated circumstances to bring you to this moment. What, the God that did that for Lydia, the God that did that for the slave girl, the God that did that for the jailer and his household, he's doing it for you. He's not changed. He's pursuing you. And your job is not to reach up and find him. It's to allow yourself to be found. So we're gonna sing this song. And I just wanna invite you to respond in prayer. But if you're responding to Jesus for the first time today, if you'd like to respond for salvation and say, Jesus, would you enter into my life and begin that new life in me that begins today and stretches into eternity, that is completed when you come back, 
And I know you gave your life for me, and so I'm giving my life to you. If you want to do that today and you'd like us to join and celebrate that with you, if you just raise your hand right now before we worship, we just want to pray for you right where you are. Our prayer team has a, a, a little response package they'd like to give to you. But if you don't know that you've begun your life with Jesus and you'd like to do that today, just raise your hand. Raise your hand and keep it up. We have a hand back here. If you're near somebody who has their hand up, I don't know if I can see any more hands, but if you're near somebody, would you put your hand on their shoulder and just agree with them in prayer? And church, we need to celebrate. What's happening right now is what happened in Acts. It's happening today. Can we celebrate that? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your faithfulness is our foundation. Would you help us to come back to this place today and open ourselves to all that you want to do in each one of us and what you want to do through us together. May we be a people who carry your name faithfully, who reflect you to one another, to our neighbors and our coworkers, our our households and our city. We reflect you faithfully. We give you our yes to all that you want to do through this series. We celebrate you. We thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for your promise to finish the good work that you've begun in us. You know, if you prayed this morning and you need, um, especially those of you that are needing encouragement, um, if you'd like prayer this morning, our ministry team is going to be available just as we close, um, just to pray with you, to uh, ask the Lord what he might say to encourage you. Uh, we also have some words for prayer that our prayer team sent this morning. We're going to put up for prayer. Um, these are things that our prayer team sent specifically about this time as we gather that God wanted to, to speak into. And so uh, breaking of witchcraft or breaking off witchcraft, uh, also the fire of God cleansing the body and boldness and courage specifically to believe it. And so if, if any of those resonate with you, you, you know who you are. Um, God wants to, to minister to you today. And so uh, if you need prayer this morning, don't leave without um, just allowing a brother or sister to pray with you. Apart from that, we do have a, a meeting for people interested in the prayer ministry happening in the chapel. And uh, apart from that, we're gonna go out and we're going to make the invisible God visible. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.